Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always, and thank you for joining me this weekend on this weekend after the Canadian Grand Prix or whenever you're going to listen to this. Uh, wherever you are in the world, hope everyone is okay and doing well. Um, great weekend of racing that's just gone by. If you were into all of it, a great weekend for sport actually. It was it was tricky not to have something on it at uh at some point so <laughs> gets a bit overwhelming at times but anyway we're going to talk about the canadian grand prix on this episode of course max verstappen equaling the record of 41 career wins set by Ayrton senna and he just continues to climb the ladder of records in formula one it's incredible and also red bull racing as well getting their 100th win in the sport too and max certainly contributing a hefty chunk of that you know if he's got all 41 of his wins uh with red bull it's almost 50 percent of the wins um and then you have to look back as well sebastian vettel daniel ricardo mark weber sergio perez as well um all contributors to the red bull machine because <laughs> effectively they are like a machine uh talk about supercars as well the darwin triple crown was on over the weekend too um great weekend you know if your particular teams and you know some first time winners as well in terms of teams and and seeing a veteran back up there as well which was really good um and yeah you know i'm not going to have time to cover off all the other all the other sports and whatnot but yeah i was watching between the ashes state of origin on as well um nrl as always so you know it's it's probably the best way to cope through cold winter is have as much comfort as you can watching sport or or movies you know one or the other and then tv shows i think we're coming into a very um rich vein of releases um in the coming month or two so yeah i can't really go into too much you know because this is a f1 or motorsport podcast not a tv show one if you would like to hear something to do with tv and films let me know you know not going to promise anything but maybe yes i could do it because after all i did study film and and screen studies at at university and it's a very good very keen hobby of mine as well anyway let's get into the f1 stuff and like i said max he was uh, impeccable again he broke the record or equaled the record of Ayrton Senna and it was something that you know coming into this season it was like well you know if he continues the the form or continues on the level of form he was in at the end of last year then that record is not going to be it's not going to take long until he reaches that milestone and here we are Canadian Grand Prix uh, what are we seven or eight rounds into the season and he's already done it so what a what a feat and then yeah for Red Bull as well to get their 100th win as well so you know how many teams can you say have have reached that milestone I'm, I'm guessing it's probably only the likes of you know obviously Ferrari but McLaren, Williams, Mercedes, so I could be wrong on on the latter two, but you know they're certainly the the constructors and teams that come to mind that would be over that threshold and over that milestone of a, a century of wins. Going into 
uh, the race and qualifying as well. Max essentially was unchallenged from pole position as you'd expect, but he didn't get a third straight Grand Slam as well. That would have been something if he got three in a row. Uh, the fastest lap was taken by his teammate Sergio Perez. Um, going into quali, it was a bit tricky on, on Saturday with rain affecting the session and, you know, effectively drying throughout and then, you know, it wasn't so good, it wasn't, it was good, it wasn't so good, and we saw some surprises again with the likes of Perez out in Q2, Charles Leclerc as well out in Q2 again for the second race running, and we'll talk a bit about Perez in detail later, because uh, there is a lot being discussed about him in the media and, you know, amongst the fan community as well, very, um, you know, some people are, have been very brutal in their assessments of Perez, I think I've sat more on the fence with this one and like, well, you know, just look at his teammate, for example. And yes, you know, what, what the form he's in at the moment is, you know, for a car that's the best car on the grid to be knocked out of, uh, you know, to not even make it to Q3 is kind of unacceptable. So we'll, we'll go down that path a bit later and talk a bit more detail about him. But... We had an array of drivers uh, penalised for impeding in qualifying as well. So again, the tricky conditions and um, again, drivers being caught unaware. So Carlos signs again with a three-place grid penalty that happened. Um, I think it happened to him in Barcelona. I can't remember. Oh no, he did start on the front row for that one. Yuki Tsunoda, Lance Stroll for his home race as well. And then... The shock of qualifying, everyone was so excited that Haas qualified on the front row and Nico Hulkenberg was about to take, you know, the the American team's first ever front row start in a Grand Prix. Now, yes, Kevin Magnussen qualified on pole last year in Brazil, but that was for the sprint race, so didn't count as being a Grand Prix. See what I mean? Sprints being confusing and all in terms of statistics, um, but... That wasn't to be the case because he ended up being penalised post-qualifying. It was found that he uh, broke a red flag rule or it was an infringement during the red flag that came out um, after Oscar Piastri unfortunately binned it in Q3 and he was like 1.5 seconds above the delta that he was required to be at or under um, once the red flag came out. So, you know, that unfortunately took away uh, the front row start for him, but he was still well amongst the top 10. And again, Haas doing well in qualifying. Um, one of their cars get into Q3 on raw pace, but then in the races, they just fall away. And again, I think it's that rear tyre problem or, you know, all their tyres problems and this is something that you know has kind of plagued Haas I think for many years now you look back to 2018 or 2019 was it 2019 I think when they had uh, Rich Energy on board and you know the controversial season that was anyway for them but the fact that they had such a good car and qualifying yet you know in the race they just could not get their tyres working and would fall away drastically Looking at Aston Martin, they brought an array of upgrades as well for this weekend, and it was much talked about because 
you know, people started losing their minds after Barcelona that, oh my God, you know, now Mercedes are ahead and is it all over for Aston Martin and whatnot? So, so fickle can opinions be sometimes and analysis of how people are going and the teams are going. But no, the upgrades that they got did kind of put Fernando Alonso back to his early season pace and it was great watching both Aston and Mercedes, or let's just say Alonso and the Mercedes drivers kind of in their own battle throughout the weekend. And while, you know, they were having their own battle, Alonso after qualifying and being on the front row for the race, thought, you know, well, we have to kind of go for it here. I feel like we might have the pace to win this race. But, you know, of course, that wasn't going to be the case. Pace, race, case. That was unintentional. Anyway, um, so good for him to get up there again and fighting amongst it. We know that Mercedes have jumped ahead of Aston Martin in the Constructors' Championship, and that might as, might come as no surprise to some when you know Mercedes have started to unlock more from their car. They're going down a different development path at last with you know some side pods. And, you know, immediately the impact that that has had has made them a lot more competitive than they were, say, you know, the first three rounds of the season or first four rounds. So the fact that, you know, Mercedes have two world-class drivers, two race-winning drivers as well, you know, George Russell, highly rated, Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion, uh, most wins of all time, you know, the list can go long. list can go on and on and you know getting it in there with Pharrell Williams for the new Louis Vuitton line as well because you know Pharrell was the creative director of Louis Vuitton or does has some really high up role there so you know you'll see you'll see them featuring quite a lot and saw this image this morning on Instagram of uh, Lewis and Rick Owens and I'm a you know bit of a sucker for Rick Owens style clothing so you know not that I can ever afford to own any of these pieces but um yeah you know so yeah it got me a bit excited seeing seeing Hamilton there with with Rick Owens such a steam designer anyway getting carried away you know maybe you could do a fashion podcast I don't know I'm not I'm not that um you know I try I try (laughs) it is my day job after all to to be across all these things anyway so where the Aston Martin Constructors Championship bid I guess will be let down or to finish second in the Constructors Championship will be with the second car of of Stroll unfortunately and I did you know give Stroll credit at the end of the Canadian Grand Prix I'm like look you know he did get the grid penalty and he did start in 16th but he did come back and finish in the points scored two points kept his head out of trouble and you know it it, it's better than him not scoring points or you know putting it in the wall so it's almost like a race by race basis and I'm sure that you know there'll be more people coming out and saying well if this team really wants to fight at the front and, and win championships, then it's going to need someone else other than Stroll in that car alongside Alonso or whoever else comes into the future. But then that's kind of contra to the whole point of Lawrence Stroll being in F1 is to make his son a world champion. So I'm not sure what else is going to happen. 
you know, to make that, to actually see that come to fruition. Maybe it requires the likes of Verstappen and Hamilton, Leclerc, Sainz, all of them, Lando Norris to, you know, decide to quit F1 and, you know, Stroll GP will see young Lance win his first title. I don't know, I'm just hypothesizing here and, you know, I don't mean to be unkind to Lance, but yeah, I feel like he did a good job overall. Now I got carried away talking about Stroll and Aston Martin. Let's get back into the start of the race and Max, of course, nailed the start. He got away. Alonso, who thought he could, you know, get ahead of Max at the first corner, actually fell victim to Hamilton behind and going into turn one, Hamilton pipped Alonso, took second and, you know, had that position for the early phases of the race Russell who was behind ended up out of the race early he hit the wall brought the safety car out or should I say the wall hit him <laughs> uh, as as George would probably have you believe pit stops triggered on lap 13 um, and basically there was an incident it was an incident uh, and it wasn't the only one that I'll talk about through the race, but um, it looked like that Hamilton was sort of released into the path of Alonso. Alonso, you know, moved his hands around on the steering wheel to perhaps make it look worse than it was. And there was that excellent uh, reaction from Toto Wolf in the garage where he was just trying to take the mickey out of Alonso, making it, um, you know, something that it really isn't. But... It wasn't the first uh, one in the race, and it certainly caught a bit of, you know, caught some people's eyes and maybe caused a bit of controversy. I'll talk about it a bit later when we get to the next one. Um, race was restarted on lap 17. Lap 22, we saw Alonso pass Hamilton going into the final chicane with, with the DRS. Hamilton then triggered the second round of pit stops on lap 41 and there was a bit of a brief challenge again for P2 when Alonso had to nurse his brakes that were overheating in that final stint of the race but ultimately what Alonso said before the race or after qualifying I should say is that you know yes he thought he could win but he was like ultimately I want to finish two seconds behind Verstappen not 20 and yes it wasn't that quite it wasn't that quite big of a gap in the end it was you know only eight or nine or ten seconds I can't remember for the life of me and can't be bothered getting the actual timing sheet out to see but you know I guess Max was also helped by the fact that there was a safety car in the race but you know some people are quite encouraged by the fact that that gap was as low as it was in this race and maybe we'll see it's sort of eaten away into future races as well. But Alonso on the podium again, P2, Hamilton, P3. Excellent job from those guys. Ferrari, Ferrari, I thought it was going to be another terrible race for them after qualifying, as everyone did. P11, P10, uh, because Sainz did get the penalty, of course, to knock him down to 10th, and Leclerc being knocked out of Q to again after that dismal dismal weekend that he had in Barcelona but they actually did all right you know they finished behind the top three uh with Leclerc ahead of science um one-stop strategy they they got their strategy right too um and also yes there was a bit of a uh, bit of a heated moment I guess when 
you know, Sainz thought he was quicker, he wanted to get by, but Ferrari basically are like, no, you're just holding formation, we got to get both cars to the end in, these, in this position, on these positions, and that's the end of it, and there was a bit of indecision, I guess, with, with you know, the pit stop, when to bring him in and everything, and again, the drivers having to sort of dictate what's going on, like, it's just typical Ferrari, they just, you know, it's like watching... Uh, if anyone's seen the good place, it's like lo- it's like having Chidi and Agonia as your as your chief of strategy. So you know that uh, that that makes me giggle quite a lot. And I'm sure if people have um, seen the good place and are listening to this uh, listening to this show, they'll agree that yeah, it's like having Chidi as your um, basically your strategist because he can't decide anything. Um, so yeah, but to get fourth and fifth, I think it's a decent result. Anyone who's like, oh, you know, um, Aston Martin risks finishing behind Ferrari this season. Well, I still feel like Aston Martin will finish ahead even if they are driving with um, one arm tied behind their back because Ferrari are going to inevitably do Ferrari things and uh, lose a whole bunch of points at some point in the season. Um, Checo, they... So Ferrari had the benefit of beating Perez. Perez did have the fastest lap at the end. And, you know, like I alluded to earlier, the decline in form from him is a bit alarming. And, you know, is it the fact that we started off the season with all these street circuits and and Montreal is still technically a street circuit? Um, We started off with tracks like Saudi and and Miami or Baku, sorry, I should say, because he didn't he was on pole in Miami, but didn't win, um, that, you know, he's just lost his mojo and whatnot, is it, is it enough to warrant him getting sacked, you know, like some people are saying, no, because what are you going to do in, to replace him, you've got to think long term, and, you know, Perez, he may, he'll see out the year for sure, whether they decide to break the contract early, um, at the end of this year, you know, that would be more plausible. I wouldn't say kick him out of the team mid-season. All the people who are like, oh, put Danny Rick in the car, put Danny Rick in the car. The man at the end of last season, you know, with his confident shot and, you know, probably, arguably and probably driving worse than Perez is currently, um, I wouldn't want to put him in the car, you know, and Yes, I love Ricardo, and don't get me wrong, everyone's like, oh, you're Australian, why don't you love Ricardo so much? I do love the guy. It's, you know, I'm thinking from a Red Bull ruthless point of view, um, they've given Perez the opportunity, Perez does bring a lot of um, funding and, and sponsorship, and, you know, there's a lot going on with, you know, Mexico and supporting the team as well, so, you know, while... Red Bull is going to win the championship with Verstappen. They're going to fin- win the Constructors' Championship as well. You know, and even if Perez doesn't finish second in the championship, it's no big deal because they still won those two titles, the Constructors and the Drivers. So, you know, it's not so bad as people think, but then at the same time, it's like, well, for his own sake, he better turn around his form. You know, another Q2 or Q3 exit, uh, another Q1 or Q2 exit next time out in Austria, particularly for the team's home race, that's not going to look good. And, you know, considering you're in the fastest car. Um, but he was able to, you know, 
race this time and make the overtakes unlike in Barcelona and come and finish sixth. He was on a different strategy to the Ferraris as well. He did two stop. So, you know, arguably he could have, you know, finished further ahead if he had um, mirrored the Ferrari strategy and then had, you know, the better pace compared to them. But he didn't. So, you know, it's it's a wait and see. It's a wait and see for me. I'm not going to put the knives out this soon, I think. Ricardo is not the person that I'd want to put in the car this year at all, you know, and it's the same with the whole Nick DeVries situation as well, and I guess, you know, DeVries is doing a whole lot worse than, than Perez is at the moment, but I wouldn't want to put Ricardo in the car this year, you know, give him the, he's one of the year off, you know, let him get his mojo back and let's see what happens 2024. You know, that will be more interesting. And then also, what do you do with someone like Liam Lawson, for example, who is off in Super Formula? I think he's leading the championship in Super Formula and doing a good job there. Um, do you bring back someone like an Alex Albon, who again this weekend or last weekend in Canada just nailed it and, and did a really good job? And, you know, it's it's difficult because of course Red Bull let Albon go in the first place to bring Perez in but you know the whole system I think with those basically ever since um Ricardo left they've kind of been in a bit of a hole when it comes to their second driver because you know they're like oh my god this is not how it was supposed to be we were supposed to have these two you know for a few more years together while the likes of Gasly and and Albon kind of developed rather than you know chucking them into the deep end straight away and you know as good as Gasly and Albon are they're not a Verstappen or a Vettel who are just gonna come through and and shine straight away so yeah, I don't know. Red Bull and drivers is always a tricky is a tricky thing. So you know, there's there's Lawson, there's you know Awasa who's currently in F two doing a pretty good job as well. I don't know if he's quite ready for F one yet, but you never know. He might end up stepping up with Alpha Tauri next year. But it's just like seriously, you know, the people getting on the whole sack Perez bandwagon and and put Ricardo back in the car I mean first of all people the people who are saying you know get rid of Perez who would you put in the car instead I haven't heard any plausible or valid suggestions so I would like to hear that before you know we're like Perez is um gotta go like next race get rid of him so anyway that's that's that little rant done um but yeah it doesn't escape you know it's not escaping the fact that he is, his form at the moment is quite alarming, but a driver of his experience, yes, he's not a great, he's never going to be a great, and, you know, for people saying he was going to win a world championship this year, no, <laughs> it wasn't going to happen, considering the dynamic within that team, it's different to Mercedes back in 2016, when we did see Nico Rosberg uh, usurp Lewis Hamilton, totally different, you know, within Red Bull compared to any other teams, and, you know, you could say Ferrari are quite similar in the way that their drivers are, are both treated in terms of status, so, yeah, hopefully Perez can get over this decline, if not, then they will have to reconsider their options for next year, simple as that.
And speaking of Alex Albon, um, there was an epic DRS train led by Albon, who first of all did get into Q3 once again in the Williams. And I think it, it, it sort of, you kind of sit back and, you know, things are put into perspective a little bit um, with the form that Albon's in at the moment. Because after, what was it, Monaco, when we got a sneak peek at the flaws of some of these cars, um, and you, everyone was having a giggle comparing how basic and bare the Williams looked compared to the Red Bull with all its intricacies and veins and, you know, fins and all sorts of little devices on the floor compared to the Williams. And then James Vowles, the team principal, coming out in the week before Canada saying some of the facilities and infrastructure that they have at Grove for the Williams team are more than 20 years old. I mean, how is that even, how are they even operating if they've got, you know, infrastructure and tools and equipment that's 20 years old? I mean, it's Formula One, man. That does not, no wonder they're at the back of the field. So, you know, I think things like that sort of put into perspective also when you look back at how well Russell did to, you know, be able to score points in the car and now Albon doing such a great job and it helps that, you know, they still, they keep on nailing their strategy down there at Williams as well, another one-stopper for him to finish in the points. Um, it's It's really... It is quite, I was kind of blown away by, you know, when thinking about it in that sort of way and then looking at the results on paper, it's like, wow, you know, you've you've definitely are nowhere near, you know, the capability of even Haas, for example, or Alfa Romeo, yeah, you know, it's just the performance of the driver that comes into it and, and a pretty good, you know, pit wall as well in terms of strategy. So good on Albon, good on Williams for doing it. He and Valtteri Bottas were the ones who utilised that one-stop strategy at the on the bottom half of the points. So Albon was seventh, Bottas in the points tenth to score one. Like I said earlier, Stroll did score from P16 after the grid penalty, and he finished ninth. And he was one of the drivers who who was able to benefit from Lando Norris, who copying a five-second time penalty for unsportsmanlike behaviour is what the official uh, release from the stewards said. I mean, what I'll explain exactly what they, you know, mean by unsporting behaviour, but compared to what Ollie Robinson did in the test match over the weekend his after his dismissal of Usman Khawaja, I'd say I'm pretty sure Robinson was way more unsporting than, than Lando backing up a few cars um, during the safety car before uh, his pit stop, and apparently it's a tactic while widely used by teams under the safety car um, if, you know, they want to minimise the time lost during a double stack. So, you know, why suddenly, I think, you know, and McLaren and team principal Andrea Stella after the race were arguing the point, you know, okay, it's all fair and well that they want to crack down on this, but... Why now, and also why doing it without any kind of warning or, you know, pre-event race notes or something like that? Some sort of discourse to everyone to be like, okay, pull your socks up, we're trying to stamp this out, next person we catch will be given a penalty. So I think that's where there was a bit of a shock, you know, I mean, 
everyone loves Lando, little baby-faced Lando, he, nothing unsporting about him at all. Maybe that goatee is is a little dodgy, sorry Lando, but, you know, he's he's just a kid, he's a baby, he, no, there's no unsporting thing about Lando. Ollie Robinson, different scenario, different case, you know, absolutely, and I'm not going to rep- uh, repeat the words of what Billy Brownler said on the radio this week as well, but that's exactly what I think of Holly Robinson, so we'll leave it at that. Um, but going back to the penalty given to Lando, there was also the second instance of what I thought was an unsafe release with, you know, Lando released into the path of Albon in the pits as well. You know, I'd have to watch him back carefully and, you know, analyze, you know, was it really that bad or not? But the fact that, you know, we've got those rules in place, you know, to minimize people getting hurt or to just stamp out people getting hurt in the pit lane, whether it's mechanics or team personnel going from the pit wall to the garage, you know, camera people as well who are down there, your reporters, pit lane reporters like Ted Kravitz and whatnot. That's why we've got these rules, so no one gets hurt. Yeah, you know, we had these cases both dismissed uh, and, you know, Lando penalised for unsportsmanlike behaviour. Also, I'm yet to see if there was any sort of reprimand or penalty, and the fact that none of these guys were then reprimanded either is is a big thing, but there was no reprimand or penalty when when Russell came into the pits after his crash, and they took off one of the the rear wheels that were busted, and then the whole tyre just ended up flying down or rolling down the pit lane, and I think a Ferrari engineer caught it, thankfully. I mean, doesn't that constitute some kind of fine or reprimand or something? So, you know, a bit bit of inconsistency again showing from the stewards and in particular to do with safety matters now as well and you know it's the same you know same race director same you know FIA who let's not forget 12 months ago were like you have to wear the correct underwear because you know it has to be fireproof and you can't wear jewelry in the car because it's unsafe and all that and then you've got examples of this where it's like "Mm, oh well you know we'll penalize him because he was you know trying to gain an advantage like everyone has in the history of F1 pit stops uh, so that their team can double stack. I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much. Uh, Piastri, a bit sad for him. You know, he was in Q3. He did crash in Q3, but to be running in the points for most of the race uh, and then, you know, him dropping out at the end there in the second stint, he did remark after the race he could have been more aggressive in the second stint. So, you know, that's good of him to identify that and the rookie is learning from his mistakes. But between the Lando penalty to take him out of P9, what it was that he finished on track... And then Oscar having a bit of a difficult second stint. Um, You know, it was just agonizing that McLaren missed the points after another good qualifying. But there's a lot to be encouraged by um, what we're seeing from them. And like I've said, um, even on the Grid Talk podcast as well, is that it's time for them to, to show it, you know. They're making all the good noises and the, the positive energy and everything like that, but it's time for them to translate what we're seeing uh, them talk about and what we're seeing in qualifying to race results. So big 
upgrades coming for them in Austria again, and Austria a very, um, you know, fond place for Lando, for his first podium, and he's been on the podium there a couple of times now, I think, so, you know, not saying he's going to be on the podium next weekend, but, you know, we would like to see them score some solid points, because, you know, Alpine are not too far up the uh, order in the Constructors' Championship, Oh, well, actually, they are. They're 44 points now compared to McLaren's 17. But, you know, if they go on a good run and have some solid points finishes, you know, there's no doubt that they can absolutely catch um, the fifth place team that is Alpine at the moment. Um, and speaking of Alpine, Esteban Ocon finished in eighth. I didn't say anything about him, but he sort of kept his years clean but there was an incident and again going back to Lando and inconsistency the rear wing on Ocon's car come on how was there no sort of black flag or you know black and orange flag whatever the mechanical flag is and be like that is way too loose that rear wing and you know we've seen teams and drivers get done in the past for having you know wings that flex too much and Red Bull are one of the you know, key offenders, as we've seen in in years gone by, and they've, you know, I remember, what was it, Abu Dhabi 2014, they were both sent to the back of the grid, um, Ricardo and Vettel, for for having flexi wings in qualifying, so, you know, how the hell did they not look at that and say, oh, okay, well, you know, that that's not quite right, um, but yeah, Ocon finishing in 8th, Pierre Gasly down in 12th, ahead of the penalised Norris, um, the only other retiree from the race apart from Russell was Logan Sargent, who had an engine failure on lap seven. You know, things not going quite well for young Logan at the moment, the Florida native. Um, and, you know, there's been people talking about how, you know, Williams should drop him and put Mick Schumacher in the car. But, you know, it's so fickle. It's like, you know, it's uh, let's treat, treat it like, you know, like football, you know, soccer or football any football code around the world where it's like you know just sack him like straight away you know rather than give the guy a hot minute to settle in develop and all this sort of stuff and yet Schumacher is the one who was under the pressure last year and now it's like he's the he's the um, best thing since sliced bread put him in and he'll do better than Sargent I have no idea it really is confusing sometimes and that's why I choose to sort of shut off from all these um, all these things and and wild chaos theories that are on the cesspool that is social media um, uh, we had an interesting fight between Kevin Magnuson and Nick DeFries as well. They ended up in the runoff down at turn uh, four, I think it was, and ended up uh, finishing last of the classified runners. And that's pretty much it. That's the Canadian Grand Prix. 69-point uh, gap between the Red Bull teammates uh, now as Max continues to stretch his legs there in the lead. Um, we still ask the question and I still seem to say, have the same answer about, you know, will they win every race this season? And I'm still like, I still have hope that we'll probably see something happen and someone else will win, whether it's Perez winning another one or if someone outside of Red Bull wins another race, you know, you've got Alonso who's getting to that stage where 
the honeymoon period seems like it's over where cool I'm happy to be back on the podium but this is the position I was in you know x amount of years ago when I was at Ferrari and I got sick of it I want to win so you know when is he going to start putting his foot down within the Aston Martin team so um, I can't wait to see that and we know that when Alonso goes off at a team he goes off so um it'll be an interesting narrative to see play out uh later in the season and yeah that's about it let's look forward to austria next week and another sprint race to um see as well and i think there's some kind of different rules uh that didn't get trialed or didn't get run last time when we had a sprint uh in baku so Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it fares in Austria. I have no idea what these rules are. Something to do with tyres, so we'll see. Let's talk about supercars now. Darwin Triple Crown, and again, it's that time of year where we're freezing our butts off down south here on the east coast, while Darwin's like that idyllic, you know, winter getaway, and, you know, the commentary... And presenters on the broadcast were like, oh, you know, it's just, it's so good, it's so amazing, and you got the sunshines, you got the smiles, you've got the shorts and the t-shirts and the crop tops and singlets and everything, it's just like, come on, seriously, and we're just all miserable down here at the moment, but, <clears throat> you know, as cold as the, the weather was, you know, the 2015 champion, Frosty as he's known, Mark Winterbottom, love Frosty, big fan, and I was so happy to see him win after, what, seven years it's been now, 2016 was the last time he won a race, uh, back when he was still with Tickford or Pro Drive, whatever they were called, and he moved to Team 18, Charlie Schwerkholt's team in 2019, um, you know, and before then, when he kind of became an independent team, he ran Lee Holdsworth for a few years, and it was, you know, years of toil and, and turmoil and, and struggle, and it's one of those teams that, you know, I don't, you know, it's hard not to feel sorry for sometimes, but you always just want them to do to do well, and when, when Scott Pye got some podiums for them in, in, at the same venue in Darwin a couple of years ago, it was like, oh, you know, they're finally, they're finally getting up there, you know, they're finally going to crack it, and it's taken until 2023 for their first win to uh, come about, and, you know, no better driver than than frosty to do it you know good on him in his 40s now still carrying on i hope i hope you're in your 40s frosty i don't mean to make you sound older than you are um but yeah it was great great result for them and yes let's get to that other um elephant in the room Cam Waters was on pole position, record pace from him in qualifying, um, and great to see the Mustangs up there in terms of quality spec on, on Saturday at least, and then even in the practice sessions, Anton Di Pasquale was fastest, and there was a host of Ford Mustang in key positions, but he sadly, on lap four, had a fire in his car, and it's not the same as what we saw at the Grand Prix when James Courtney and Nick Perkett had separate incidents um, off the start um, after a lap, but this was a loose fuel fitting that caused that. So, um, you know, and kudos to the Tickford team because uh, they were up until 3.30 a.m. on Sunday morning to get that Monster Energy Mustang turned around. And what a 
what a phenomenal effort and considering that Tickford have had quite a nasty or quite a hefty damage bill this season as well um it's it's really you know good on them for being persistent and um, resilient to get that done but Frosty in in race 13 he was able to control the race after that DNF um pretty much the whole field pitted during the safety car and um you know Brock Feeney was Frosty's closest challenger and was able to hold him off on the final lap as well so great effort by Brock um Frosty he started fourth on the grid and made you know a ripper start and was able to um be second going into the first corner but yeah can't say enough about um winner bottom and, and team 18 really happy for them and for charlie schwerkholt to finally get you know the winner's trophy and, and the winner's champagne and everything because you know that's why you go racing is to to be able to win and you know win races win championships and you know interesting hearing um a uh, Neil Crompton talk about it as well as that you know he he spoke to Frosty earlier in the week or a week ago or something and he's like you know I basically just want to go out there and win races now and you know it's it, it would be great to see him win a few more before he um does inevitably retire which hopefully isn't for a couple of years yet I think he's locked in till the end of next year um uh at the earliest so you know great we will see uh frosty around for another year or two um but yeah disappointing again for waters and for ford as well we'll talk about parity a bit later but quickly on waters as well he's uh, suddenly becoming a key player in the 2024 silly season market as well so you know whether he stays at tickford or he decides to explore options outside of um the team he's been with since he graduated from super 2 or the dunlop series back in 2016 um he's you know got a great relationship with or great he's a great ambassador and has got a great relationship with ford and with monster energy as well some of the potential suitors or candidates that have been talked about walkinshaw and dreddy united um, are they going to cut Nick Perkat loose, given it's been two fairly underwhelming years for him, unfortunately, there? There's also Ryan Wood, the young Kiwi, who's stormed into the Super 2 Championship this year, and he was kind of drafted in by Walkinshaw at the last minute as well, apparently. There's a whole story about it. But I've certainly been impressed by what I've seen of him in... Um, Super 2 and you know it's it's silly how we don't have enough Super 2 on the calendar anymore and you know again I'm going to have a little rant about supercars management who are like oh let's you know cut the field down to 24 cars just so they fit on a plane and we'll go to Singapore like get your affairs in order at home first you know let's get a race in New Zealand let's get Winton and Queensland Raceway like I think I said this last time where I've seen pictures of Queensland Raceway now compared to before Tony Quinn took it over and, you know, from the testing that they do there, it looks so amazing, you know, and the fact that, yes, COVID affected a lot, but it's, you know, we're, we don't have lockdowns anymore, we don't have, you know, restrictions and whatnot, and, you know, I'm not saying that maybe teams are not struggling, but you know, supercars really should get in there and get the development series back up on its feet and have it feature at more rounds because, you know, I think we've only had one so far this year and what when's the next one? Who knows? Probably Adelaide. 
oh, that's not right because it'll be at Bathurst and Sandown. But the point I'm trying to make is it's just there's not enough of it to actually, you know, be in the minds of people watching. Like, how do people who are on the fringe, sort of, who do enjoy watching it sometimes, be like, who do I look out for? Who's going to be the next, um, you know, driver to progress into supercars? And it's only, you know, thanks to some publications actually, you know, giving it the attention it deserves, I'm like, cool, I know about this Ryan Wood fellow and the fact that, you know, Walkinshaw have him, uh, you know, he's racing for the Walkinshaw in, in Super 2 and he could potentially be someone who goes over to the main team in the main game next year or even be put out on loan to um, Team 18 if they decide to part ways with Scott Pye. Rant over, um, yeah, Cam Waters supposedly a big player in the silly season, you know, is he potentially waiting for Shane Van Gisbergen to decide he's not going to race on in 2024 with supercars and end up going over to Triple Eight? Gizzy has said again that, you know, he doesn't know beyond 2024, but he will most likely still be racing in supercars in 2024 and of course he's got that deal and arrangement with his Red Bull Empire racing team and you know good luck to him uh racing in NASCAR as well um I don't know if it's this weekend or next weekend but um yeah really exciting to see him go off and do that opportunity but yeah just a little sneak peek of what's to come in this silly season ahead we also had Matt Stone racing uh, win their first race and also their first pole position, Jack LeBrock. Um, um, uh, he did get his first pole, but not his first win in supercars because he did win back in 2020 when we had those crazy tyre races in um, at Sydney Motorsport Park, and he was with Tickford as well at the time. And he did acknowledge that, you know, this win feels a lot sweeter because of all the craziness with the tyres and whatnot that we had back in 2020. But translating that form that they had in Tasmania um, to the win in race 15 from pole as well, and that gives us seven different winners from 15 races so far. And, you know, yes, we've got a diverse range of winners and whatnot, but it still doesn't hide from the fact that, you know, not going to discredit not going to discredit the efforts of the likes of Team 18 and and Matt Stone Racing they have earned their wins and they're doing such a great job but the fact that we're not on a level level playing field for the likes of Dick Johnson Racing and for Tickford and for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United to be in there in the race and the fact that now after how many rounds has it been four or five rounds a parody trigger has been hit. Apparently, it's been, you know, sounded or they've rung the bell after every single race or every single race weekend. Um, and supercars are finally going to have a review into this because what we discovered in Darwin is that, you know, it's not a matter, it's not a disparity amongst the engines. There was, but they fixed that um, with the engine mapping. There's actually an aero disparity as well, so, geez, you know, these Mustangs, how maligned are they compared to 2019 when they were pretty much, you know, they blitzed the competition, or Scott McLaughlin blitzed the competition, and, you know, after two rounds, we had um, this parity trigger being hit, and the review being done, and changes being made, and in, in 2023, where 
four or five rounds in and it's finally been done not going to go into the conspiracy theories it's fun watching and reading forums and and comments that people make about this but I'm for equal competition and for a parody formula this is absolutely pathetic that you know it's basically 2023 is basically going to be written off for the Ford teams you know as basically being a test year while Chevrolet romp away and again no discredit or taking away anything from the Chevrolet teams who've done a great job with what they've been given you know and it's lovely it's amazing seeing Erebus Motorsport up there and Brody Kostecki leading the championship they're doing a good job Triple Eight they do a good job as always and you know sometimes the attitude can be a bit frustrating when they're like oh you know it's up to the other teams to do a good job but if they haven't been given the equal tools to do that then how do you do that you know it's not like F1 where, you know, it isn't a parity formula and, you know, there could be a huge difference between Williams using a 20-year-old uh, screwdriver to, you know, Mercedes and Red Bull with their state-of-the-art technology. It's not how it works in supercars. So for this to finally be, I'm not saying addressed because it hasn't been addressed yet, but this for this to finally be looked at and reviewed is just, I mean, is it too late? No, because you know this is is what's going to determine the future it's going to determine whether ford is satisfied to stay in the championship long term but it's just embarrassing considering it's a premier motorsport category it's you know very popular it, it has a cult status over the world but supercars management just seem like they don't know what they're doing or they're just purposely like we're gonna have the Chevrolet Cup you know as the conspiracy theorist suggests so the problem over the weekend in Darwin was the fact that the Mustangs uh even though they seem to be on par almost with with the Camaros over one lap and in qualifying is that over a stint you know it only takes you know, over a race stint, it only takes like five laps for them to shred their rear tires. And, you know, the question was out there if Waters didn't retire um, in race 13, would he have been able to hold the lead or would his tires have been dead and Frosty would have caught him anyway? You know, there's a whole lot of what ifs, you know, when you look at that scenario. So, um, yeah, from what we saw, and people argue, but, you know, Mostert and Percat over the weekend and on Sunday in particular, they qualified at the back of the grid and they were able to come up and finish, you know, close to the top 10 and whatnot. So, I don't know, like, I just, like many fans, and I'm a fan first and foremost, yet, you know, I have this platform that I want to talk about, uh, talk about these things and do it in a very sort of, semi-professional manner, you know, I'm not going off at, you know, people and swearing at them, like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, knock a few teeth out, la da 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 um, motorsport shouldn't be political, you know, let's, I'll throw that in there as well, you know, check your privilege, guys, sometimes, you know, it, it frustrates me, I'm not going to go into that a bit, uh, go into that bit, but what has been lacking has been, uh, sense of or just transparency um transparency of data between the teams and manufacturers you know there's been none of that so far you know anytime that you know 
someone or the Ford teams go and ask supercars for data, you know, they just keep a lid on it or, you know, don't want to do it and stuff like that. It's like, well, how is this going to evolve the championship moving forward? And as entertaining as supercars is, you know, and we've got great drivers, um, great circuits and whatnot across Australia and New Zealand, it would be pretty bland and boring if it was just one a one-make formula, you know, if it was just the Camaro Cup or the Mustang Cup or whatever. That's why we need the manufacturers. That's why we need, you know, you know when it was Ford versus Holden because everyone loved that sort of rivalry and you were either on this side or you are on that side. Having it as a one-make formula is going to kill it and I'm sure, you know, supercars is sort of dying a slow death anyway because of um, the direction it's going in and the decisions being made. It's a debate for another time as well. I'm sure I could sit sit here all day and talk about it. But, you know, while, yes, you know, I'm of the current generation or whatever, or, you know, I'm, I'm more woke than your average typical Supercars fan, I'm still a fan of the series. I love what it's about. I love its blue-collared nature and everything. But... I don't know if the management realizes that, you know, um, not to name names, but, you know, certain individuals, you know, individuals that are in positions of commentary even, who hold power, like, no, bit over you guys now, and yeah, it's it's just really tricky, and I don't know what's going to happen as a result of this, um, parity review are we going to see any changes to actually put the mustangs on a level playing field who knows it's it it's hard not to feel despondent about it and that's where you know i agree with the majority of fans who are upset about this at the moment is that you know they they feel let down by by supercars you know who are making all these other weird decisions or let's you know cut the grid to 24 cars so they'll fit on the plane to Singapore like why when there's not even a race in New Zealand at the moment or you know tracks like Winton and and Phillip Island and and all the all the other great venues like I've said before so anyway let's leave it at that a lot of ranting today I feel I feel sort of you know cleansed a little bit to get that off my chest um early on in the weekend but thank you again for listening um hope you all have a good weekend and week uh, leading up to the Austrian Grand Prix next time out um, be sure to follow this podcast or follow me on Twitter at hit the apex media there's also a link tree to all the other links um, involved uh, that I'm involved with such as my raw profile where I do articles and live blogs for uh, supercars and for f1 um, and my instagram which is probably my main thing at the moment but then i haven't posted on it for ages so you know it goes and also shout out to the grid talk uh f1 podcast as well so love being on their show as a guest and sharing my opinions with such a lovely bunch of people so um go give them a check out as well so thank you again for listening and i'll see you guys next time or I won't see you. You'll hear me next time. (laughs) Bye.